to give res show respect to the audience and respect your own business. It was a way to protect it. Ladies and gentlemen, heels and faces, casual wrestling fans, and all you smart marks, I am Kayfabe AJ, and this is Kayfabe Avenue, and I'm bringing to you the Raw Wrap-Up, all the information, all the breakdowns of Monday Night Raw you need from people who actually watch the product. And for people who actually enjoy the product, um, you know, not like some podcasters over there who will be unnamed, who, you know, pick up shows because they have no other options. But over here in KFA Ave, we cover what we like and we like what we cover. So let's start off from the beginning of Monday Night Raw. We have a little recap of last week. And then we go straight into the opener with a moment of bliss featuring Randy Orton. And if you've been following the podcast for the past couple of weeks, I've been telling you and I've been raving about Alexa Bliss and The Fiend. I feel like this is probably the first week where it wasn't, you know, anything too exciting regarding The Fiend and Alexa Bliss. Um, I think they've already kind of like... Peaked. I think they need an, another, we need a catalyst for Alexa Bliss to go more over the edge. This segment pretty much was her moment of bliss kind of mixed in with the Firefly Funhouse look. They had, you know, kind of the kitty lettering coming up and we had a change in her set away from like the elegant, luxurious look more towards the, the Funhouse look that Bray Wyatt has for his segment. So, She's out there interviewing Randy Orton and pretty much she's taunting him and saying, you know, he has an attitude or someone's angry and, you know, pretty much trying to pry information for Randy Orton regarding as to, as to his dealings with The Fiend and if he's aware that he's angered The Fiend and etc. And, you know, from Randy Orton's standpoint, like I said, if you've been watching... If you've been watching these podcasts or listening to the podcast, I've been also raving about Randy Orton's promo work. And, you know, week in, week out is just another example of how good Randy Orton truly is. And he his promo, you know, alluded to the past uh, and his dealings with The Fiend, uh, specifically Bray Wyatt, the alter ego of The Fiend, and how when he was chasing a weakness for for Bray Wyatt and when he found it he burned it to the ground and in this case he's regarding he's referencing Bray Wyatt's compound which storyline held the spirit of Sister Abigail so essentially burning down the compound he burned the the, the spirit of Sister Abigail now this was way before the fiend you know existed on WWE cameras but you know with Bray Wyatt's long form storytelling which is probably the best in the game since Undertaker even more so um you know Undertaker's storyline with his brother and everything and stuff like that it's probably one of the greatest storylines and we've been touching on that especially with the retirement 
of the Undertaker the past few weeks. So I think storyline-wise, the Fiend character is just amazing. And the fact that Randy's bringing it full circle and, and not just forgetting their, their past and forgetting that they've clashed before, but bringing those storyline elements back into the 2020 feud. And, you know, he says it straight out. I don't know The Fiend. I've had clashes with Bray Wyatt, but I've never, you know, crossed paths with The Fiend. And the one thing I did, like, he, you know, he said that The Fiend and, and himself, Randy Orton, are very much alike. But the difference is where Randy Orton internalizes his pain and his suffering to blend in to his environment. The Fiend wears his pain and suffering externally, you know, referencing the Fiend mask and stuff like that. So it was really, really good stuff, really great promo. And pretty much he, he's playing mind games with Alexa Bliss, or is it Alexa Bliss playing mind games with Randy Orton? But pretty much saying, you know, I found the weakness before, and I, I think I found it again, referencing Alexa Bliss being the Fiend's weakness. So she's like... Who's manipulating who? Are you manipulating us? Or are we actually just letting you think you're doing that and we're the ones in control manipulating? At that point, the Fiend's music starts cutting in, the lights start shutting off, and they're standing in the ring, Orton and Alexa, and he's like, you see? And then she goes, no, you see? So, you know, back and forth with the manipulation, but finally the lights go completely out. The Fiend shows up in the ring and uncharacteristically, he ends up reaching out for Alexa Bliss, basically, you know, non-verbally begging Randy Orton to hand her over. So Orton passes Alexa Bliss off to the Fiend and rolls out the ring, backs up as the Fiend, you know, is looking on at Randy Orton with Alexa Bliss being carried in his hand. So... I don't really know where the entire direction of Alexa Bliss and the Fiend Bray Wyatt is going. Still, still very much enjoying it, and I'm 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 liking the fact that they brought this rivalry back, but they they're painting it in a new way, but with remembering everything that came before it. I love when WWE does this. They need to continue down that path. You know, in general, we you know. We fans, especially people like me who cover wrestling, we tally these things, tally these storyline beats and these twists and turns. We tally that in our minds and we don't forget. They need to stop thinking that the fan has a short-term memory. Like, we're going to completely forget about something that came before and it's irrelevant the next time that situation happens. No. WWE fans and wrestling fans in general have a great memory and WWE needs to honor that and you know this promo really did that that storyline between Bray Wyatt and Orton is probably what three years old now probably more than that so good stuff enjoy the segment um we'll see more of that storyline bubble up as the weeks continue so let's just move on to the first match of the night which was the Symphony of Destruction match, Elias versus Jeff Hardy. Now, I was a bit confused because before this match took place, they had a match with the guitar and a pole. 
it was supposed to be the last match between these two, but obviously WWE writers forget that they book things in that way. You know, kind of like saying the final clash between Rollins and then you have another clash the very next week with Rollins and the same family he's been beefing with for months. But, you know, one of those storyline things, WWE writes themselves in a hole. But nonetheless, I enjoyed this match. Hard hitting, a lot of weapons used on the side. Everything on the side of the ring was mostly instruments. We had a drum set. We had various guitars, whole bunch of stuff. Um, completely using all, all of the surrounding areas. So no holes barred. We actually get a hilarious segment in the middle of this uh, match where Elias goes to the piano, opens it up. We find a hiding R-Truth inside the piano. Soon as he jumps out, we get, you know, all the people chasing the 24-7 championship to run down, chase um, R-Truth off. But before they can all run run away, we get Drew Gulak um, getting hit with a big back body drop. From Jeff Hardy. And then Lucha House Party runs out. Elias nails a clothesline on Liz Dorado. And then ends up hitting him with, I don't know, I think it was a, a violin or something to that effect. But, but you know, both guys laying down. We get Liz Dorado taken out with the clothesline. And then we get, uh, no, no, it was Grand Metalik got taken out with the clothesline. Liz Dorado comes to check up on his partner and ends up getting the... I'm pretty sure it was... No, it was probably a guitar, not a violin. It was a little bigger than a violin. So we got a guitar over his back. Jeff and, and Elias continue the, the rivalry and through commercial, continue the match through commercial. But one of the big spots of this match, which got me scared, they had this table set up on the outside and Jeff goes from the turnbuckle where the steps are and Swanton bombs through the table on Elias. But on the way down, Jeff Hardy's head hit the steel steps. So, you know, really calling it close. I was concerned about Jeff Hardy. Um, there's been no injury reports, nothing like that. He looked fine. You know, it was a really close call. But it's just a testament to what these guys do, and we have to, you know, tip the hats off and show some respect to these guys. A lot of people who are not wrestling fans just truly don't understand the risk that they take week in, week out. These guys should be considered athletes, should be considered, you know, on a on a bigger pedestal and respected for their craft. Although the match results are predetermined, the risk. And, and the factors involved in the match are not. And this was one of those cases where we were lucky that Jeff Hardy didn't get injured. So um, he pulls off the win. So I, I guess they're shutting the door on that rivalry after this. I don't know if that was a good decision on their part, especially since Elias has been out with injury. So to me, it would have made more sense that they had Elias pull off the win, especially considering Jeff Hardy such a fan favorite. He can actually take this loss without suffering too much behind it or losing too much stock. So I don't think they went with the right guy. I think Elias should have pulled off the win, especially considering it's a Symphony of Destruction match, something that should be in his wheelhouse, him being a musician. He should have been able to you know, fully take advantage of that situation. But nonetheless, 
They love pushing Jeff Hardy, and Jeff Hardy pulls out the win. Next up, we got Keith Lee backstage with Matt Riddle, and Riddle walks up to Lee, calling him Broly. Tells Keith that he's decided for them to, you know, for them both being in that triple threat match, which is stemming from last week, last week's little tournament, um, to qualify for this triple threat. The triple threat would determine who is the number one contender to face Drew McIntyre at the upcoming TLC pay per view. So, you know, saying he's like excited that they're both in the match, and. He goes on saying that Keith Lee had a chance to win the title, but didn't, and Riddle wants a shot. So he continues to ramble, ter- turns to the side, thinking about fighting Drew McIntyre. Does a horrible Scott accent. When he and when he turns his back, Keith Lee already walked out. <laughs> walked out in. So I really like how they've been using Riddle. They've been giving him a lot of backstage segments, a lot of, you know, mic work, a lot of promo work. And I feel like they some you know more than half the time somebody of the caliber of Riddle and the personality of Riddle they usually drop the ball and they go with the too much dude bro stuff but he's been really hilarious in his promo work the past couple of weeks so hats off to to Matt Riddle actually you know besides being amazing in the ring and keeping us interested there he's been really working on his promo game to keep us interested out the ring so hats off to Riddle on that it was really funny the next up we get a video package of Retribution and Ricochet with, you know, all the history of Ricochet fighting Retribution and, you know, Ali being revealed as the leader. Ali's promos pretty much cut along the lines of, you should be here standing with us. You should be one of us instead of continuing to resist and, you know, fight against Retribution. But nonetheless, this was a setup for Ricochet versus Slapjack of uh, Retribution. And for the first time in this promo, they let Slapjack talk. And I was really impressed. Um, I, I forgot who he was in NXT. But even in NXT, I don't feel like he got too much mic work. So, you know, they actually showed he has personality. And, you know, they need to just... You know what? I'll get back to, to Retribution later. But... Let's continue with this match, Ricochet versus Slapjack, which was, you know, pretty good match all around. But towards the end of it, they end up having a lot of interference from um, Retribution. We had uh, we had what's his name? T-Bar, which is Dominic Dejakovic run in and distract Ricochet. Ricochet had to fight all of them off uh, pretty much from getting on the apron and, and trying to distract as a fight of them off, but ends up losing to Slapjack, which was good because I'm tired of seeing Retribution. You're supposed to be this big stable, this big dominant force, um, this this game changer, and all you guys have been doing is losing week in and week out. So I'm glad the last couple weeks, the last two, three weeks, they've been legitimately trying to up um, Retribution stock, trying to give them wins, whether it's, you know, roll-up wins like this one or, you know, the heel disqualification win or whatever it is. At least they're gaining, you know, wins and going up the ranks. You can't have a dominant force that's not dominant. Uh, Big storyline out of this, Dana Brooke shows up and pulls pretty much pulls Ali, distraction, smacks the hell out of him, and pretty much tells him, go get your bitch, 
Reckoning, which is Mia Timms, a.k.a. Mia Yim. Um, so setting that up for later on, on in the night. This is stemming from uh, maybe two weeks ago before the Survivor Series match got switched to Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans' involvement. We had Reckoning, which is Mia Timms, a.k.a. Mia Yim, attacking Dana Brooke to storyline, take her out of the match because seemingly Mandy Rose is injured um, from Nia Jax throwing her out the ring a few weeks ago. So, yeah, we haven't seen Mandy since. It's been a couple of weeks, and it seems like they're starting to drift Dana into her own solo storyline. So, yeah, we have her out there, slaps the hell out of um, Mustafa Ali. He doesn't like that, you know, ends up getting reckoning later on down the line to handle his light work. We'll get to that. But winner is Slapjack, so good thing for Retribution. I just need to see more dominance. You're getting the wins now, but I need to see more dominance, and we'll we'll get to that. Let me hold this thought. Next up, we have Miss TV after the commercial break with Miz and Jomo in the ring, and pretty much their their special guest is Sheamus, and they're they're talking about how Sheamus is best friends with Drew McIntyre and how. That's work working or not working for him. Pretty much trying to get him to kind of plant the seeds of turning his back on Drew McIntyre. And, you know, pretty much this is the lead into the main event tonight, which is Miz and Morrison versus Sheamus and um, Drew McIntyre. So a, a good way to try to start some dissension amongst the ranks between Sheamus and Drew McIntyre, which are being painted as best friends. Over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, pretty good stuff. But, you know, typically ends with the Miz getting angry with Sheamus not really buying into the bullshit. Miz gets in Sheamus' face, starts yelling at him, calling him a loser, telling him that his career is a joke. Sheamus stands, and so does the Miz and Morrison. Sheamus ends up taking off his coat, tells the Miz that this is the difference between them. The Miz likes to run his mouth, but Sheamus rather uses his hands and ends up punching the Miz dead in the face. Morrison starts jumping on uh, Sheamus' back, but Sheamus shrugs him off, fights him into a corner. The Miz comes up from behind, whacks Sheamus with the case, then smacks him a few more times with it, and then we we leave Sheamus lying in the ring. So, really good stuff. The Miz has kind of uh, been drifting up and down the card. The money in the bank has been pretty much an excuse to keep him relevant on Raw. And me being a big Miz fan, I really hope this translates to a title win, you know, down the line. But I'm really praying that it doesn't come out to him wasting the cash in. But nonetheless, good stuff. I did enjoy it. Uh, good setup for their match at the end of the night. So before we actually do continue talking about the rest of the night, let's take a quick break and check in with our sponsors, the people who keep the lights on and keep this Kayfabe Avenue train moving. So we'll be right back after these messages. And we're back. We just left off with the Miss TV segment and Seamus being left lying in the ring so next up, we have Lana and Asuka, a little package and promo b- between these two. And, you know, Lana's been l- losing and winning out of left field, getting put through tables eight weeks in a row, becomes so survivor. So 
a crazy underdog story happening with Lana right now. And she's been paired up with Asuka. Stemming off last week, they both teamed up and got a, a win over the tag team champions. So this was the, the return match of that. But I got to say, they are building Lana correctly. She's easily gained more interest in, you know, solo-wise than in her entire career. And having someone like Asuka being able to be in the ring with her and help her get better it just makes sense. You know, Lana's secretly holding back some skills that she's not showing us, you know, with this storyline, her being the, you know, underdog and the, the, the one who's being bullied and picked on week in and week out. We're starting to see her really break out her shell and really start to wrestle good matches. This was last week. I was like, okay, Lana had a decent match. I'm really shocked. She's having a good match. Her initial uh, championship match versus Oscar was two weeks ago. I was shocked. I'm like, wow, am I actually enjoying a Lana match? So I think she has some talent hidden in the reserves. I think she's holding back because of this this storyline, and I think we're gonna start seeing a lot more great things from Lana. She might actually become a contender. Now, I need to see consistency. That's the one thing I will say. I'm not going to give you all praise. I want to see consistency. So let's let's see Lana continue on this wave for, you know, the next couple of months. And I can definitely see her going for a title. You know, maybe not winning it in a drag-out brawl with Oscar, but I could definitely see her become a contender or at least becoming a, a more relevant in her solo career than ever before. So... Hats off to Lana for that. She ends up actually pulling off the roll-up win over Shayna Baszler, which is super embarrassing for Shayna. But good stuff. Decent match. Uh, good promo before we have Nia Jackson, Shayna cut a promo about how they they haven't been gelling well because of the loss to Lana. And um, hey, ladies, you got another Lana win and uh, another loss to her under your belt. So... You know, let's see what happens next week with that. But overall, I am enjoying this this change in the dynamic. You know, seeing Lana get picked on, again, put through a table. While I did enjoy that week to week, seeing her get put through it, it was like, okay, when is enough? When is enough enough? And when is she gonna get her just due? So finally, she's getting her just due. Finally, she's getting some respect and getting some actual uh, ring time under her belt. So good stuff. Backstage, we see Sheamus and Drew. Sheamus, Sheamus pretty much holding his back and um, still feeling the pain from the in, from the attack from John Morrison and the Miz earlier. And um, you know they just have some playful banter back and forth. And uh, Sheamus takes a few jabs, and Saxton ends up noting his animosity towards Drew. And the fist bumping, eager to work together again and take out the Miz and Morrison. So you know. Planting the little seeds of a possible dissension between the two friends, which I've been waiting for since day one, because you've never went out your way to make sure they were labeled as best friends until now. So definitely expect to see that blowout. Maybe not this week, but in a couple of weeks, I definitely see Sheamus um, turning his back on Drew McIntyre and finally saying, you know what? I deserve a WWE championship shot and I'm going to take it. So I definitely see that down the line. Sheamus has always been that type of character. So 
Expect more of that. So next up, New Days in the Ring. And they're celebrating the fact that Xavier Woods is the new host of the recently resurrected G4 channel. So congrats to Xavier Woods. Very well deserved. Uh, you know, leading driving force in the gaming industry and streaming world. Xavier's been doing big things with his up, up, down, down YouTube channel, even infusing it with WWE and really showcasing wrestling and video games, being able to work together and boost each other's platform and, you know, inspired other people like the Miro's page and, you know, Zelina Vegas and stuff like that to have other source of income and have other avenues to promote themselves and the business. So hats off to Xavier Woods on that endeavor. This leads to a promo about the Hurt Business, which leads to the match between Xavier Woods and Cedric Alexander, which easily is one of my favorite matches of the entire night, um, barring the triple threat match. Yeah, this was easily one of my favorite matches of the night. Really good stuff overall. You know, I've been waiting. I've been one that's been waiting and, and, and dying for the moment. Xavier Woods steps out of the New Day shell or at least starts getting showcased on his own. And they did that. They did that last week and they're doing it here. Xavier Woods having a great uh, match with Cedric Alexander and the right person won the match. Cedric Alexander won clean. He was aggressive. There was no interference from her business, although they were outside. Very great match. Cedric, I don't know. At the end of this match, it seemed like he's having a little character change or I don't know what's happening, but Shelton Benjamin MVP uh, left staring in, you know, staring at him in the ring, wondering what the hell's going on. He ends up getting the win, rolls out the ring, celebrating alone, leaving the hurt business behind. So I hope they're not thinking about separating Cedric from the new, from, excuse me, not the new day, from the hurt business. Feel like this is the first time they're actually showcasing him in a positive light. I just hope he starts gaining that confidence and starts being a real player for the hurt business, as opposed to just being in the sidelines, waiting for a direction from MVP and or Bobby Lashley. So we'll see more on that. Got your way to see this match. Next up, uh, we have a little recap of what what happened with Orton and the Fiend. Then we have backstage AJ Styles Riddle. And Jordan Omeg Behan. And uh, Riddle's still acting like he's high, like usual. He probably is high. Calls AJ the skipper a few times. They exchange a few words. Riddle's attempting to be friendly. And Styles doesn't want any of, of that action. So Riddle says a comment about loving Styles or something. Styles shows him roughly, shoves him and then roughly, and then storms off. So, you know, Matt Riddle getting a lot of promo work. I said that earlier in the show. Um, hats off to Riddle, really keeping things entertaining inside and outside of the ring. So, good stuff. Then we got the sudden death triple threat match. Keith Lee versus AJ Styles versus Matt Riddle. This is the match of the night, ladies and gentlemen. Won't go into all the intricacies of what went down. and Go out your way to see this. Uh, long story show, short, great showing from Keith Lee. A lot of power, a lot of dominance, um, you know. Not taking nothing away from Matt Riddle. He also was there showing, showing you know, the best that he can offer AJ Styles. These, this is a great combination of wrestlers. Either one of them can have a classic with either one of the, of the other. So, great match. Go out your way to see this one. AJ Styles ends up pulling off the win after Matt Riddle hits Keith Lee with two final flash knee strikes. 
um, ends up, you know, getting Keith Lee out of the ring that way. But then as soon as he's done taking out Keith Lee, we get AJ Styles off the ropes with the phenomenal forearm to pick up the win over Matt Riddle. So great match. Um, you know, great person to actually go against Drew McIntyre at TLC. So originally Braun Strowman was supposed to go against AJ Styles, but I'm not sure if it's injury or something going on, but those plans have been put on pause and AJ Styles will go on to face Drew McIntyre, the WWE champion at TLC. So, you know, expect that to be a classic. AJ Styles is somebody who could pull out the best wrestling wise out of Drew McIntyre. Drew's been on fire and, you know, top notch, but, you know, I need more wrestling clinics from him. And AJ is the guy who can actually possibly get that out of him. So looking forward to that match at TLC. Looking forward to the continued buildup. And we'll get more uh, for that buildup later on in the night. But next up, we got Charlie Caruso, The Miz, and Morrison backstage. And Charlie basically is talking about their actions. Earlier, we got another replay. And they end up cutting to the back. When um, they're celebrating the video that Charlie's showing, Charlie ends up telling them, it looks like their plan to stir the pot between Sheamus and Drew backfired and is asking if, strat- uh, if they have any strategy for the night. They say they're not stupid and they do and try they do and try to run down that Sheamus is not trustworthy and props their ability. He holds up the money in the bank case, stating that this that he still has this. Charlie tells him that all he and the Miz is doing is rattling off stats and it doesn't sound like he has a plan. Morrison has an idea and he and the Miz head off, presumably to a uh, a basement <laughs> to plan. I like the way this guy wrote the, these notes down. But yeah, so the the actual plan initially is what we thought. Uh, Morrison and Miz's relationship is going to hinge on the fact of Miz cashing or failing to cash in that briefcase. Miz has made it clear that John Morrison and him can maintain their friendship because as a true friend, um, you know, in the Miz TV segment earlier this night, uh, in that night, he said this, that they're true friends because the first person in line to receive a title shot the moment the Miz wins will be John Morrison. Meanwhile, Drew McIntyre is champion and he hasn't given Sheamus a, a, a shot at it as a friend. So, you know, trying to stir the pot and they're doing this successfully. Next up, we got Dana Brooke versus Reckoning, a.k.a. Mia Timms, a.k.a. Mia Yim. And this is where we go back and finish all my rants about retribution. Retribution, you all need to be unmasked. You all need to stop the bullshit gimmicks. You can continue being a group. You can continue this dominating WWE shit. Stop fucking you know, insulting our intelligence as fans. We know who you guys are. You look ridiculous. I'm done with it. I'm done giving you chances for that. Take it the fuck off. And sure enough, in this match, not even two minutes in, Mia Yim loses her mask. Embarrassing. This is your entire gimmick. Your entire gimmick just fell off within the first match. It was as cringeworthy as seeing Kane's mask fall off in Brothers of Destruction versus The Exit. Just as embarrassing. Mia Yim, this is your entire gimmick. This is the first time she's actually one-on-one with someone on Raw. Not only did she lose her mask in the first two minutes, she gets rolled up pin 
by Dana Brooke. Once again, how can you be a dominant force in WWE if you're not fucking dominant? You guys do the right thing and get Slapjack a win earlier. Then you go back and get the only woman in your group to lose. This makes no fucking sense. And if you guys want to do this just to get Mia Yim into a rivalry with Dana Brooke, they didn't need this to do it. All we needed was Mia Yim to destroy Dana Brooke. Do it in an embarrassing fashion that Dana Brooke needs the comeuppance. Let her win at a fucking pay-per-view. We can't constantly see Retribution members rolled up week in, week out, or lose clean, or whatever the case may be, and still act like they hold stock. The The group is flailing. Mustafa Ali being um, you know, outed as the leader, great storyline. Great storyline booking. Great long-term booking. But you're failing in every other aspect of this fucking group. Take the mask off. We know she's Mia Timms, a.k.a. Mia Yim. Stop the bullshit. If you, and if you're not going to take the mask off the rest of the group, kick Mia Yim the fuck out of Retribution and let her do her own thing. After the match, Mustafa Ali obviously not getting his you know, comeuppance from Dana Brooks smacking him early in the night. He ends up screaming at Reckoning and telling her over and over there's no failure in Retribution. Which is ironic because you guys have been failing since the moment you debuted. Pick and choose. You can't be dominant and not be dominant. It does, just doesn't make sense. Backstage with AJ Styles almost and The Miz and Morrison. Pretty much AJ Styles trying to tell Miz that he's willing to help him cash in that briefcase so he can become champion. Miz is all for it, then stops things. Hey, wait, why? Why are you willing to help? Well, don't you see? You're easier to beat than Drew McIntyre. Uh, funny uh, backstage segment but we move on to another backstage segment with riddle again third time um getting screen time with mvp and mvp's talking to riddle but riddle doesn't want to hear it he says he had a shot at it unlike lastly who lost last week riddle goes on a stoner rant about not liking baseball liking gardening forming bro nut donut company with um etc ends with lastly locking the the hurt lock on him and, you know, ragging him, throwing him on the floor. So uh, I guess you'll be doing no business with the hurt business unless it's you getting hurt by the hurt business. So we move on. We got Sheamus and Keith Lee. Keith Lee pretty much pressing Sheamus, saying the boys in the back are hearing rumors that you might turn on Drew Mack. So Sheamus pretty much saying, hey, it's none of your business what I do. And we'll, you know... I guess we'll have to see where that storyline goes. We didn't get any, we didn't get that happen to happen tonight. Um, this leads straight into the main event tag team matchup: Drew McIntyre, Sheamus versus the A-listers Miz and Morrison. Before the match gets underway, Drew McIntyre cuts a really good promo. Um, you know, it looks like he's trying to keep the fires of Roman versus Drew going. So down the line, more than likely, we'll see Roman versus Drew too. So he, he talks about that, talks about the promises he's made, uh, regaining the title, promising Orton he was going to claim or kick him, promising Roman that he'll humble him, and you know doing all those things. Very confident Drew McIntyre, and you know straight into this match, typical match back and forth, uh, decent, won't get too, too much into the back and forth and 
that uh, breakdown of everything that happened in the match. But long story short, um, we get winner by DQ, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus when out of nowhere, AJ Styles flies in with the phenomenal forearm. So AJ Styles going straight into it, straight into this rivalry with Drew McIntyre, trying to help the Miz win the, the the title that night, trying to force Miz to cash it in. Um, you know, these guys uh, attack Drew. When Miz went to finally go cash, he ends up playing more kicking Jomo, ends up, um, you know, Miz ends up getting knocked out. When he goes for AJ, this was the hilarious part about this. AJ does like a reverse. Um, he's on the ropes and does like a backflip out the ropes. But when he does the backflip out the ropes, he lands on Omeg Bohan's um, shoulder, which is his bodyguard. And he's literally being carried like a child on his shoulder, getting taken away. He's like, you're lucky. You're lucky, Drew. Put me down. If he wasn't holding me right now, I'd go tear you up. I'd go destroy you right now. Hilarious work. When AJ's working, this comedy angle, he's some of the one of the best people at it. Um, I, I love this this pairing of AJ versus Drew. Definitely looking forward to that match. And just this interaction with him and his his bodyguard is starting to grow on me, especially with the fact that his bodyguards actually started to talk a little bit now. Um, early in the night, he um AJ Styles got bribed with like. Uh, a, a peach pie from Miz and Morrison, and he ends up telling AJ, that's not pie, that's a cupcake. You know, alluding to how big the guy is, but, you know, hilarious stuff back and forth. This was a good ending to the show, you know, keeping Miz and Morrison in, in the picture, alluding to the next step in Drew McIntyre's run, facing AJ. So a lot of a lot of spinning plates on this Raw uh, a lot of good stuff. So overall, I, I give this episode an eight. A lot of enjoyable stuff. A lot of stuff to pick apart. Um, some rivalries moving along. So definitely looking forward to next week and looking forward to how they build up this TLC pay per view. But you know we can do this all day, and you can find me at the Kfabe. Avenue Instagram as well as Kfabe Avenue on Twitter, on Facebook. Join our group. Watch the visual versions of some of our podcasts on the YouTube channel. So like, share, subscribe. And speaking of subscribing, if you love the podcast, you like what we give you, please click click on the support link on Anchor and click on the support link on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our uh, channel. Subscribe to our podcast. Donate what you like. Help us keep the lights on. Help us keep this train moving. And we'll provide as much content as possible to sue all of you wonderful viewers. And like I said, I could do this all day. This has been Kayfabe AJ. This has been Kayfabe Bab. And this was the Raw Wrap-Up. Brought to you by guys who actually like Raw. And that's the bottom line. Why? Because those Stone Cold said so. Thank you very much, you son of a bitch.